0: the word this morning. I got a green light. Got some power. All right, good morning, good morning, it's bright up here, you can see your smiles this morning, our pastor, we wish him well, He is doing something, is that me, I'm good, he is um, getting a nice respite, I don't know where he ended up, but I know that he was aiming for Chihuahua Mountain. I hope that he was able to go up there and get him a nice hammock and hang on the side of a cliff, and he's going to take his journal, and he's going to talk to the Lord, and he's going to pray, and I hope that he just gets a good charge while he's up there. Y'all have, we we have at TFA an amazing, amazing pastor, so uh, just be sure and pray for him while he's up there. Uh, We do have a few uh, visitors this morning. I met JB earlier. Love your worship, your passion for worship this morning, man. Um, Was it Talvert? Talvert, okay. Nice to meet you, man. So anyway, I get to uh, fill in while Pastor Lynn's away, and I'm excited to talk to you about something this morning. Uh, I want to start out this morning by uh, speaking about um, a precious moment that happened, and that's what we're going to go. We're going to be talking about precious stuff this morning, but a few weeks ago Kara and I were sitting over here on about where my mom and dad are sitting and CJ and Bailey and precious little Paisley were sitting there and Pastor Lynn was up here doing an amazing job and Paisley looks over and she just smiles the biggest most genuine smile that you could imagine and it didn't matter if Pastor Lynn was turning cartwheels up here there's no way that I could pay attention to Pastor Lynn because all of my attention was on Paisley at that moment. It was one of those precious, precious moments that uh, you just love to be a part of. And then it got even more precious because my sweet little Hadley and Paisley started having a conversation, and watching the two of them talk to one another did my heart good. So... um, it was one of those moments I said to myself and and, and this message kinda um, started right then in that moment but it was one of those moments that I just said how precious is that to watch these two untainted children you know have a conversation or maybe not a conversation but they were interacting and acknowledging each other so with that being said I'd like to ask you a leading question this morning is what do you think is precious think about the things that you think are precious we used to sing a song in the church called Precious Memories, How They Linger, How They Ever Touch My Soul or Bless My Soul. But, you know, uh, I went to Scripture after that and I thought, what are some things that are mentioned in Scripture that are precious? The Old Testament in Chronicles and Kings and in Samuel, there's many, many times mentioned precious stones. Many, many different times. And in Second Peter, um, it's written about our precious faith and Esther whenever Esther's talking or whenever it's being described about how she's gonna go and meet with the king and all the preparation that goes it talks about precious ointments that are used in James James talks about the precious fruit of the earth in Psalms, Psalms refers to the precious loving kindness of God and then it talks about It's precious. Death is precious in the sight of God, the death of a saint. And all of that this morning, after saying all that, I'd like to take you to a portion of Scripture that talks about a subject that should be the most precious thing that a group of believers, without reservation, would talk about. Um, We're going to talk to you this morning. I'm going to talk to you this morning for just a few minutes about precious, precious, precious Jesus. So if you will... Turn with me to 1 Peter. If you don't know where 1 Peter is, go to the book of James and then take a right. Now I don't know about your your Bible, but in my Bible that is page 1,663. So, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Do you all know how to say amen? Okay, we'll get through this a lot quicker if there's some amens or oh me's or oh mys, or something we're going to read through nine verses we're not going to leave the book of first peter we're going to stay in first peter the, the, the whole time But first peter chapter two verse one says therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy envy slander of every kind like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted the Lord that the Lord is good verse 4 as you come to him the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and what precious precious to him you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and what? Precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone... The builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey their message, the message, which is what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light we're gonna stop right there this morning whenever you start reading Scripture and I've said this before when I've been filling in for Pastor Lynn and you come to a portion of Scripture that says therefore it is solid biblical hermeneutics for you to go and examine what the therefore is therefore in Scripture you do it in a book you do it in everything else so when you come to Scripture and you begin reading and it starts out in verse 2 or in verse 1 of chapter 2 it says therefore that is actually a continuation of verse one, or chapter 1 where Paul or Peter is going on and he talks about in chapter 1 about us being holy. He talks about us and our love for one another and that we are born new from the Word of God. And then he continues and says, therefore. And then he says, um, therefore, rid yourselves. And he lists off a litany of things here. Therefore, rid yourselves of malice and deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander, and every kind. Well, that's easy, isn't it? That's easy to do. No, it's not. And then he goes on, and he says, like newborn babies, um, and how they crave spiritual milk. Now, I'm going to ask this question in this service, and I'll probably get more head nodding in this service than I will in the second service, because of the the age difference of the congregation, but how many of you have been on a, a uh, around livestock before? You've been on a farm and you've, you've raised some some stuff. The drains back here out there with their uh, farm, of uh, or what is it, the barnyard of Tuscaloosa, they've got livestock everywhere. It's amazing that when a newborn animal, let's say kittens or puppies are, are born, and right after they're born, their eyes are not even open yet. They know how to find mama. And they know how to nurse on mama. Their eyes are not even cracked open yet. They have this inward desire, this urge that's inside of them to find the mother and begin to drink, to begin to nurse. And the milk that she has, is what they long for and they kept crawling until they found her Okay. so this verse here speaks to the the believers being newborn babies and they desire the pure milk of the word so that they can grow up in salvation and I just wonder this morning if the church if we took a a survey of the churches across Tuscaloosa across the county across the state would the church be craving that spiritual milk, or are they satisfied where they're at? The mark of a mature Christian, the mark of a child of God, is not perfection. It's a hunger for Jesus. More and more of Jesus. Folks, if we have tasted of the kindness of the Lord, we will desire Him. And then verse 4 goes on. We're going to go through some verses here, then I want to kind of go off on a a right turn here. But in verse 4, it says that he is the living stone that was rejected by man, but chosen by God and also precious to God. Next verse, verse 5, talks about how we are but mere construction materials being used for God's glory and purpose and that he's still working on us. That's good news right there. That he's still working on me. Somewhere floating around in the in the ether, somewhere there is a a a cassette of a little four or five year old little boy named Paul singing the old song. He's still working on me. Y'all know it. Makes me what I want or what he wants me to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. There's a four year old little Paul singing that somewhere out there. I don't know where. But he's still working on us, church. He is still working on us. Believers constitute God's spiritual house, wherein the believers are a royal priesthood. In verse 6, we move on. Verse 6, Peter calls, he recalls what Isaiah wrote in chapter 28 of Isaiah where he says that he has laid a, a cornerstone, a precious stone. And he conflates that being Jesus. But there's that word again, precious. So in a span of four verses, Peter says the word precious three times. Now, I don't know about the type of household that you grew up in, but when you were growing up, if your parents emphasized something three times in four short sentences, would you think it's time to pay attention? So Peter, under the unction and the Direction of the Holy Spirit writes in four simple verses here. He talks about Christ being precious three times. So I think that we should pay attention to this. Now, whenever you read Scripture, remember the context. So think about who's writing this Scripture. This is Peter. This is Peter. This is the same Peter that looked at the Lord after he had answered the Lord a few times. And the Lord. Frustrated, Peter, and he said, "Peter, feed my sheep." This is the same Peter that's writing this. This is the same Peter that had been on a fishing trip all night long with his crew, and he comes back into the the boat slip, and Jesus is standing there to talk to his friend, and Jesus says, "I'd like to take a ride." Peter says, "I'm awful tired, Lord." Jesus says, come on in. How, did, how was your fishing trip? Well, it wasn't any good. We, you know, they, just, they, they weren't biting, they, whatever. And Jesus takes him out and he says, I want you to throw your net right there. And if you read, it's almost like Peter says to him, we just threw our nets from there. and We just pulled them back up. There's nothing there, Lord. And Jesus says, oh, why don't you do it anyway? Peter says, nevertheless, Lord. Okay, throws it out there. And then, whenever Peter does that, he begins to pull it up. And Scripture talks about how the catch is so great that the boat began to sink. This is the same Peter that's writing about precious Jesus. This is the same Peter that looked at Jesus in a a fit of rage against Judas and in a, a fit of rage against the soldier, took out a sword and cut the soldier's ear off, and then Jesus picked the soldier's ear up put it back on his ear or put it back on his head and healed it this is the same Peter that watched that and was witness to that this is the same Peter that told the Lord over dinner I will never deny you I will never deny you Lord and then he hears the rooster crow and he sees the eye of Jesus lock on him and he remembers that whenever he's writing this so when Peter speaks about Jesus being precious, this isn't somebody that he's not familiar with. This is someone that he has relationship with. This is someone that is part of his essence. This is important when Peter writes this. This adds to the context of this scripture here. This is gut level honesty from Peter here. And if Peter were here with us today, and he could look at you and tell you about the preciousness of Jesus, I wonder what he would say. I wonder, I wonder how he would describe Jesus. I don't know. I, I can't get into Peter's mind and in Peter's heart, but what I can tell you is why I think Jesus is precious. And I'm going to give you three reasons, if you're a note-taker, three reasons why I think Jesus is precious. Number one, Jesus is precious because there is no rival to Jesus. There is no rival to Jesus. There is no shortage of gurus in this world. Now, I've got a morning routine that I go through, and usually my morning routine involves checking my various social media accounts, and one of those accounts is something called LinkedIn. Is anybody on LinkedIn? Yeah. LinkedIn is a uh, social media platform generally used for business folks, okay? Okay. It's a great platform. You can get on there and you can find your decision makers. You can connect with people that are in the same industry as you. You can can collaborate on ideas on LinkedIn. It's a a fantastic business platform. But one thing that LinkedIn is full of is self-professed gurus. You've got your health gurus. You've got your wealth gurus. You've got your relationship gurus, you've got your marketing gurus, you've got your business gurus, you've got spiritual gurus, because I'm in the construction field, I've got construction gurus on there, you've got technology gurus, you've got, the list just goes on and on and on. People who think that they have the answer to your problem. And if you don't believe them, they'll send you an email and tell you that they are. And try to sell you their book. Now, many of those people, they have a a, a great-looking bio. They've got a great-looking picture on their their image there or on their their Facebook or their page. They've got a a, a well-curated slogan, and, you know, they've got a, a lot of things. And some of the other things that they've got is they've got a whole lot of empty promises. Okay? Jesus doesn't have one empty promise. Jesus has an empty tomb not empty promises. Many have come and many have tried to fill the shoes of Jesus and it has not worked out. Muhammad couldn't do it. Muhammad, he's still in a grave somewhere. But Jesus, where is Jesus? He's at the right hand. Socrates came. Socrates, he, he, he taught for 40 years. Aristotle came. He taught for 40 years. Plato came. He taught for 50 years. And they brought a lot of wisdom to this old world. But in their 130 years combined, they could not scratch what Jesus did in three years of teaching. Jesus came and taught for three years and he did more than what books can be filled and put in this world there are thousands upon thousands of institutions of learning that are named after Jesus church what a teacher what a mediator what a savior what a God Jesus has no rival Jesus shows up on the scene and grown men climb trees just to get a glimpse of him Jesus shows up and fish boat captains jump out of their boat and go running across the water to get to Jesus. Do you understand who I'm talking about this morning? Jesus never painted a picture but some of the greatest artists like Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, you thought I was gonna say DiCaprio, Leonardo da Vinci, they got their inspiration from him. He never wrote a book, he never wrote poetry, but some of the greatest works by Dante and Milton were inspired by him. He was not a musician, but Mozart and Bach and Beethoven and Handel got their inspiration from Jesus to write their music. He came from the lowest of circumstances. We used to say they grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus came from a pathetic little village called Nazareth. And it was even said about the place, can anything good come from that place? The good teacher did. The good physician came from there. And now that same meek and mild and lowly Christ that came from nothing, That lowly Christ child is at the right hand of the Father and is regarded the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Folks, there is no rival to Jesus. So there's no rival to Jesus, but there's also no redeemer but Jesus. There's a lot of smart people in this world, and they'll try to formulate different equations of how they can get themselves right with God. And it doesn't matter how smart you are. How hard you try. There is no formula that a person can put together that will get you in right standing with God. Trying to make your good works outweigh your bad works. Well, as the sage Shania Twain used to say, that don't impress me much. God looks at that and says, that doesn't impress me. Your works, what does the word say? Your works, your righteousness is as filthy rags. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you think you've done. If you don't have the blood of the Lamb on your life, there is no Redeemer. You, can, you can, uh, This is taught in a lot of, in a lot of um, uh, denominations, that baptism, whenever we have our baptism services, that that makes you right with God. That does not make a person right with God. If you have not experienced the redemption of Christ in your life and you go in the tank, you'll go in a dry sinner, and you'll come out a wet hypocrite is what will happen. that, That does not do a thing for you. What good would it be, church, for a person to be an architect yet not know the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone? What good would it be for a person to be a great baker and yet miss out on the bread of life? What good would it be for a person to be a great Doctor, yet not know the great physician. What good is it if you're an amazing education, uh, educator, but you don't know the good teacher? What good is it to be a farmer and not know the Lord of the harvest? What good is it if you're a geologist and you don't know the Rock of Ages? What good is it to study the cosmos and all of its beauty, and yet not know the bright and the morning star? What good is it to be a jeweler and not know the pearl of great price? What good is it to be an attorney and win as many cases as you can and have billboards everywhere? We're familiar with that in Alabama, are we not? You can have a thousand billboards with your name on it. What is it good to, is it to be an attorney and yet not know the great mediator and the great advocate? What good is it to be an amazing student And yet not know Jesus who is the way. And he is the only truth. And he is the life. Folks, I so want you to know this Jesus that I'm talking about. And you know what? Jesus wants to redeem you. So there's no rival but Jesus. And there's no redeemer but Jesus. And Sloan, if you and the team want to come back, we're going to be really quick this morning. There's no rival but Jesus, there's no redeemer but Jesus, but lastly there is no replacement for Jesus. How many of you have wrecked a car before? Yeah. I'm looking at you, Nora. Let me tell you something, I have a co-worker, she drove a Scion, She wrecked her car, came back with a Lexus, okay? You can wreck a car, and it can be replaced. Unfortunately, you can have a house burned down, and you can replace that house. You can be let go from a job. You can still find another job. You can have friends walk out on you, tell lies about you, say all sorts of bad things about you, and try to wreck your career. But chances are you're going to find more friends and make more friends down the road. And I can attest to this, you can flunk a class and you can take that class again and pass it. And some of you folks can attest to this, you can have body parts go bad on you. You can go down to the parts store, get you some new body parts. But you know what? You can't replace Jesus. A lot of people try. A lot of people have tried. They put other things in his place. But no matter how hard you try, you cannot replace Jesus. You've got no power. Let me just tell you a couple things About Jesus There's no end to his excellence There's no shoreline to his sovereignty There's no limitation to his lordship And there's no circumference to his compassion There's no grave to his glory His loving kindness never lessens church His faithfulness never fails. He is mightiest in majesty, and his generosity is the greatest. That's my Jesus. And some of you listening to me, either in here or some of you online are listening, and you have tried to go through life using as little Jesus as you can and being associated with Jesus as minorly as you can. But I want you to know there's no rival, there's no redeemer, and there is no replacement for Jesus. You either take him all or you don't take him. Shamefully, the church in America has tried to get by with going Jesus light. There is no Jesus light. We've tried to make the story about us in the congregation oftentimes and you know what we are miserable subjects for the storyline but we just sung songs earlier about and we kind of designed it this way that it's all about Jesus nothing about me John three thirty says he must become greater I must become less he is the image and we are the image bearers he is absolutely irreplaceable. He has no rival. He has no one. There's no one that can redeem you but Christ. There's no substitute. So I want to, I want to begin to close out here and ask you, what does Jesus mean to you? What does he mean? Is he, is he an ornament to add to your faith collection? to see these bumper stickers Jesus is my co-pilot that's an awful bumper sticker he is the captain he's in charge and I'm mopping the floor he's not a co-pilot is he your co-pilot or is he your everything is he just a, a name that you mention at the end of a prayer with your family is he dusty and sitting on the shelf of your life somewhere or is he your everything you know, to the disciples, he was everything. They left their boats at bay and they took out to follow him. Is he what governs your actions with your, your interactions with your coworkers or your family or, or whoever? Is he your way? Is he your truth? Is he your life? Can you imagine your life without him? What does Jesus mean to you? You know, there's a, a guy that used to be in Birmingham, he's, he's up in the Northeast now, but his name's David Platt, and he, he wrote a book called Radical, and in that book, David Platt, he says something, he says, he asks this haunting question, he says, what if we took away the cool music and the cushion chairs? What if the screens were gone and the stage is no longer decorated? What if we don't have air conditioning anymore? What if every creature comfort that we've got is removed? Would the word still be enough for his church to come together? Would his people still love him enough to come together? Church, when we abandon the trinkets of this world, and respond to that radical invitation of Christ, we discover an infinite treasure of knowing him and experiencing him. And I so want you to experience Christ. Not jesus light. I want you to experience Jesus to the full. Jesus to the max. Because he's more than you could ever imagine. The depths of his love are unfathomable. And if you went and gathered all of the gold on this planet, it doesn't touch the price that he paid for you. And he desires to be not partially Lord, but completely Lord in your life. Well, Brother Paul, I'm already saved. And I'm happy for it. I am glad that I will be sharing eternity with you. But are you living a life without reservation for Jesus? I don't know how you might need to respond, but we believe that when the word goes out, that we give time for a response, for people to respond. So if you just need to find a a place, call out on that name and reacquaint yourself with the most amazing Jesus that you could ever imagine. I'm going to invite you to do that. We're going to sing. And uh, while we do that, please call upon the Lord. Okay.